You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. In Episode 2, Keith Buell, General Counsel and Head of Global Public Policy at Numerical, joins Rebecca Johnson, Founder and CEO of Numerical, for a cross-Atlantic analysis of robocall regulations, where they compare consumer protection measures in the UK and the US and discuss the latest updates in the regulatory landscape and what that means for your business, identity, and the entire telecom space. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Keith Buell, General Counsel and Head of Global Public Policy at Numerical. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, Keith. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate you uh, joining us on uh, this journey of protecting consumers from fraudulent robocalls while protecting the calls that they want. Um, I'm pretty sure that we will have you as a guest again. So this should not be a one-time event, uh, especially as regulations seem to be kicking up in other countries. We continue to have more in the U.S. So this is a really interesting topic. So for today's topic, uh, it's actually one I've been anticipating for a while. As other countries organize around how to protect consumers from fraudulent traffic, it is expected that the regulators or, or lawmakers will look to the U.S. and how we've tried, tried, tried to implement consumer protections for voice. So Keith, before we get into uh, what is going on in the U.K., for our audience, let's start with some background. Uh, you know, looking at Ofcom and the FCC, how they're implementing consumer protection measures. So, you know, if you could just give a little background first on who's Ofcom and how does that relate to what we're doing in the U.S. Ofcom is the U.K. version of the FCC. They've got a similar mandate. Actually, their mandate is wider. They regulate the postal system and that sort of thing. But for our purposes. They do what the FCC does. They're a little bit insulated from the political process, just like the FCC is in the US, um, not regulate, not directly under the control of the prime minister, just as the FCC is not directly under the control of the president. Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure if this was uh, coincidental, but Ofcom and the FCC both issued publications related to consumer protection measures for the voice channel. And I think it's important to note that uh, I believe the FCC is on the eighth report in order uh, in which it is finally, finally inquiring about identity and the effects of call labeling on legal entities. So looked at Ofcom's publication, which is kind of a first step in this space, similar to what we refer to as a notice of inquiry um, in which Ofcom is seeking input and comments from the industry regarding calling line identification authentication and that will oftentimes be referred to as CLI uh, for short. So the next step is likely to be another consultation in which the uh, Ofcom will propose rules and then do another round of seeking additional feedback. Would you provide just a quick overview of the FCC's eighth, did I get that right, eighth report in order uh, and the Ofcom's publication specific to consumer protections. So what Ofcom is doing, like you said, is similar to a notice of inquiry. It's starting the brainstorm, the discussion process around what they might do. And what they're doing is basically stir shaking. They don't use that word in 
as often as we do in the US, but they're deploying a similar technology or planning to, to deploy a similar technology. They would have the originating carrier sign the call and the terminating carrier authenticate the call, which is what we are doing here in the US. Um, Ofcom has waited though, they're a few years behind us in their deadlines. And the reason they've done that, or at least one reason, is that Ofcom is waiting for the IP transition to happen in the UK, which is supposed to happen by 2025. And the lack of a full IP network in the US has been one of the hardest things for regulators and the industry here to deal with as the FCC's generated kind of a patchwork of exceptions and alternatives to stir shaken to take into account small rural carriers that can't afford to upgrade or other carriers that choose not to upgrade for whatever reason. And we've got that patchwork that is making it so that a lot of calls are still unsigned despite a mandate that went into effect two years ago. And last year, the uh, FCC required the gateway providers. So is that is that part of that patchwork that you were mentioning? It's like targeting little chunks and sections? Yeah, the gateway provider mandate goes into effect at the end of June. So we're hoping to see that that has uh, further narrowed the, the holes in the network. Uh, a lot of the illegal calls come in from overseas. So the gateway providers will be required to sign those calls as the first point of entry into the US. And hopefully that will have a good effect because right now there's a very low percentage of call signing in the U.S. despite the fact that we're almost two years into the mandate. I've seen estimates that it's about in the 25 percent range. Most of those are wireless to wireless calls, which is really not where the authentication, the stir shaking is most needed. It's the business or any sort of enterprise outbound calling uh, operation to what are now mostly wireless end users. I was formerly working at the FCC, and just as recently as a few months ago, my desk phone, which is a VoIP phone, calling my personal cell phone right in my hand next to me was not a signed call. And there's some intermediate provider somewhere in there that either dropped it or had an exception or chose not to sign for whatever reason. And until those calls are signed or the it's SIP end to end, uh, we're going to have those holes. Ofcom is smartly waiting for those whole you know, the full transition to occur before they even start down this process. So I find it interesting. The FCC basically required a standard before the infrastructure could support it. And then perhaps Ofcom is requiring an infrastructure update before requiring a standard. So what was the thinking behind that decision? I think it's smart. Um, and plus they've seen what has worked and what hasn't worked here in the US. And I think more sadly to say has not worked despite all the efforts put into stir shaken. I think it's a good backbone and foundation for these technologies, but it's not the entire solution. And it's left uh, places and uh, for participants that are, are really not helping the situation here. So while I'm sympathetic to small and originating terminating carriers that don't have the money to install stir shaken here in the US, I don't see a place for an exception for intermediate carriers. If you want to get in the middle of a phone call, you should be fully IP and implement stir shaken. And the UK is not going to have that problem because they're waiting for the full IP transition to happen. So that could potentially be a delay. So I will say like in the US, um, there were multiple different deadlines for which provider had to implement Stir Shaken or basically upgrade their 
infrastructure. Like you said, it was a patchwork. So we, that might be something to watch is what are the comments that are going to come back to Ofcom? Is there pushback on IP? And although you said there's no exceptions, um, someone's going to lobby for them. <laughs> That's Probably. how it usually works. Um, so that could end up being an interesting delay to implementing the CLI, you know, call line authentication framework for another word for search again, um, in the UK. So there's going to be this intermediate kind of period that they'll have to go through, which isn't too dissimilar from the U.S. It's still a bit of a uh, challenge of law, standard, infrastructure. And then we're going to get into that last piece. Uh, what data is going to be transferred um, through this update? Um, so it'll definitely be one to watch. But I do feel like there is a lesson or perhaps a warning that needs to be shared with Ofcom. And I would like to know your thoughts. I have my own, but I would like to hear yours. I think the big warning is Stir Shaken's a great technology for the middle third of a telephone call, from the originating carrier to the terminating carrier. But what it doesn't do is go back before the originating carrier to the complex web of BPOs, uh, different providers involved in the call path, call centers, and I think that one misstep that the industry as a whole took, and I certainly took in the past, was assuming that at the start of a call, it was a one-to-one relationship where a business customer says, I need a call center with 100 seats. I'm going to buy phone service from Carrier X. They're going to issue my phone number, sign my calls, and they will go downstream with my caller ID on it. And that's just not the way it works. These companies hire call centers who have service from multiple carriers, and they might bring pre-existing phone numbers assigned by another carrier and go through several least cost routers along the way. So by the time it gets to the first carrier that signed the call, there's a mishmash before that that nobody really knew or understood from the terminating carrier side. And that is something that I think hamstrings us to this day because Stir Shaken was built around an assumption that the call origination process would be similar. Now on the terminating side, we, especially on an Apple device, we don't have any indication of what, whether the calls signed and verified by Stir Shaken. We get that after the fact in the form of a check mark in our call log. What I would like to see is identify the originating caller all the way back to the brand behind the call, which may not be the company that owns the phone number, that owns the phone lines, that bought the service, all the way to my hand when the call rings, not after the fact, but I want to know that this company placed the call, they placed their identity on the call, and I know that with certainty when I answer that call. It honestly feels a little deja vu for me since this is uh, actually how Numerical got started. Um, I don't know if it's the cart before the horse here, but um, there was the deployment of analytics before IP, before Stir Shaken, and although we see from Ofcom that it looks like, hey, we're going to require the IP infrastructure first before stir shaken. Yay, glad you did that. But what's already proceeding out uh, and being deployed is the analytics. Uh, and that's where I was kind of getting back to. There might be these delays with deploying an IP infrastructure, and there's going to be this pressure from a regulatory side to please the people and actually show progress that we're stomping the bad guys. And the easy little band-aid to put on that is to implement some analytics. So in reading the publication from Ofcom, we can see that that's, that's already started. Um, there have been analytics, the same ones that are deployed in the U.S. are being deployed 
uh, at the terminating service provider, terminating carrier level. Uh, and it's just going to be the same problems again. We're going to have an identity issue while we're trying to block the bad calls. We're going to be blocking the good calls. So, and I know that you have a lot of background experience in that too. And maybe uh, this is part of that warning uh, to give to Ofcom of what their future is going to look like. And we will, we will pull this podcast up, give me about six months. And then I think we're going to have some data around how um, there's some real negative impacts to legal calls through these strategies. I think the analytics have really, their time has come and should have gone by now. They were the best option we had six or seven years ago before stir shaken when people were fed up with robocalls and the carriers felt like they had to do something. The FCC was pressuring them to do something. So uh, the analytics stepped in and each of the three or formerly four, now three major wireless carriers hired an analytics company to do call analysis and to do some blocking and labeling before the calls got there. And that was the best technology we had at the time. But I, I see failures in the analytics because they are, are really guessing at, at what's going on with the call and not applying objective information from earlier in the call chain. They're starting to use stir shaking in that, and I think that's a good thing. But taking a step back, the role of the analytics is really unique in the history of telecom in the United States. For over 100 years, the FCC and its predecessor regulator said the call must go through, complete the call, don't interfere with the call. And there have been instances in the past where carriers have squabbled about money and call routing, and the FCC said, I don't care, call completes, you guys can fight after the fact. And what they did here is allow the carriers to insert the analytics into the call path, I mean, they're not technically in the call routing, but their decision-making affects how a call is presented and displayed and blocked. And the FCC said a few years ago that we're not going to regulate the analytics. We're going to rely on their good faith efforts to do their best because robocalls are so bad and so out of control. We throw up our arms and we're going to allow them into the call path. And it's really a unique situation that the FCC delegated authority to these analytics companies with no oversight whatsoever. And one thing that kind of I find surprising, maybe I shouldn't find it surprising, but upsetting about the draft order that came out last week that will be voted on in May is the FCC is saying not, we are going to require analytics, not just allow, but require analytics, which is saying that uh, for 3,000 voice providers in America, they must buy the product of one of these co three companies that I think is not been successful in, in their mission. Uh, and the FCC has, part of their order that they released is going to be a notice of inquiry to discuss labeling, but that's one step further removed from actually doing a rulemaking. So that's really two orders into the future if they even touch that subject. What, what I think is interesting, and, and it's frustrating because both the FCC and Ofcom and I'm going to say Congress, at least over here at the U.S., because we have the Trace Act, which gave the FCC authority to implement some caller authentication identification framework. And the word identity and identification comes up in both of these orders, publications, whatever the word you want to use, yet zero, absolutely nothing is discussed about what does that identity look like. To your point, 
stir shaken. Let's call it what it is. It's an endpoint to an endpoint for a delivery of data. Garbage data, good data. That is not a requirement. It's just a transfer of information from an origination point. Don't drop the data as we play hot potato. Pass it along to the terminating service provider. There's no place where the FCC has identified the know your customer concepts. We should get down to the entity behind the calls because news shocker, Keith, this might be the first time the world is learning that the bad guys hide by not providing their identity. This is the first place you're hearing about it, right? <laughs> like, I don't even understand this. And this is one of the challenges that Numerical, our company is actually having, uh, now this is on the messaging side, but it could apply to voice. There is this company that seems to have our data of all of our employees and loves to send text messages to all of our employees as though they're coming from me. Now, because I'm very integrated into this network, I can actually perform my own tracebacks. I can actually get down to the company who is facilitating the delivery of these calls and they know exactly who the entity is. And all we get back is, oh, sorry, I shut off that company. Where is your due diligence for knowing who's getting onto the network? All we're doing is a whack-a-mole approach to this. And these are companies that have implemented Sturgeon. There's, there's, we're missing the identity element. And I get really frustrated that Ofcom came out with CLI and identification is actually in the acronym. But yet there's no conversation around the identity of the entity who's delivering the call put your stamp on your communications it shouldn't just be the originating service provider that has to put their stamp on the call or the text it should be the end entity that actually is making the decision of what number it wants to call and what message it wants to deliver so I know you and I have had these conversations and you have thoughts on that as well I think identity is what the analytics are missing right now we, uh, we might have a customer with a thousand phone numbers and in any given week, 50 are labeled as spam. The next week, it might be a different 50. And the analytics are looking at it through a view of the world from five years ago. They're looking for traffic spikes as indicative of bad behavior. But I think we know from our own experience, and I confirmed this with a uh, operation that runs something akin to a honeypot where they analyze incoming calls, the fraud calls, the bad calls these days are being spread very thin across a large number of phone numbers. So when the analytics say this is spam because of a spike in call volume on one particular number, that's the opposite of what they should be looking for. Nor do they associate all of the company's phone numbers together. And in my view, a company, if they're compliant, their calls should not be labeled as spam. If they happen to use a lot of calls on this number today and a lot of calls on that number tomorrow, if we know that who they are, and that they are legally compliant, the analytics shouldn't be jumping in and guessing and doing labeling that's very harmful to a business just based on their guess. And similarly, if we know a company is bad, all their calls should be labeled as spam, not just the ones that happen to make a high call volume that week. So the analytics are using an obsolete view of the world to be doing this and really not looking at identity. And <clears throat> the analytics engines will sell a bypass to this. They will sell branded calling, they recognize that a spam label is detrimental to a call, that nobody picks up a call labeled as spam, and that they will sell a product to 
guarantee that a, not guarantee, they don't, sometimes they won't override a spam determination, but to facilitate the delivery of a call with a logo or a verified caller name on that to avoid their own labeling of spam. It's a fox guarding the hen house. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's another one of the warning <laughs> they give to Ofcom with regards to, um, you know, allowing any entity, and this isn't just targeted at one, it's just, it, like you said, these solutions had an appropriate time and an appropriate place, but it's been almost a decade, and we need to move towards informed solutions uh, where identity is accepted. And that's that's basically my warning to Ofcom is very quickly, very quickly on the heels of allowing carriers to block or label calls as spam to the terminating consumer, there should be a way for, such as NHS, to be able to associate its identity to its numbers in which there might be some fluctuations and spikes in the delivery of calls, I don't know, maybe for magazines or something. And we also saw this with COVID-related calls. Numerical had to quickly implement a critical call registry because the COVID traceback calls were getting labeled as spam. So it's broken. It's broken. And we need to fix it. And it's a very simple fix with identity, accept that identity from, from the entities. We do this with consumers. We accept their identity. It gets verified, validated. You get a card, get issued something. And that gains you access to jobs, um, purchases, flying, right? It's We have to take the same approach over into the voice channel. And my fear is, is, is if we continue to delay on acknowledging that we have an identity problem as we continue to deploy solutions for messaging, solutions for email, and solutions for social without identity, we're just going to be destroying communication channel. And in fact, we're making it a lot easier for fraudulent traffic to be delivered across it because, I mean, they can dodge and weave way faster than we can innovate to block it. Yeah, I think the diff- another difference between a legal caller and a illegal or unwanted caller, I've never liked the term unwanted. I don't know what calls you want. You don't know what calls I want. But <clears throat> the calls, a lot of the calls being labeled as spam are callers that come forward and say, this is who I am. Um, here's my name. Here's my address. Here's my credentials. You verified me. This is my type of business. Here's my TCPA compliance plan. Here's, if they're a debt collector, my FDCPA compliance plan. And these are the phone numbers I use. That's the exact opposite of what the illegal callers are using, where they hop from carrier to carrier, phone number to phone number. They spoof caller ID. They um, don't want to use the same phone numbers time and time again. They don't, certainly not phone numbers that are linked to them or assigned to them. And we've really gotten into a bad situation where the good callers emulate the bad callers, emulate the good callers, and the analytics are left guessing in the dark and getting it wrong quite a bit. And I think they underestimate the harm it has to a real business. Someone that we work with, our CFO, was got a call from a local Home Depot store, not a call center, but the, a store in the DC area, and it was labeled as spam. And it was his contractor calling to arrange payment. And I don't know, that Home Depot number was labeled as spam for at least a week. I haven't checked on it in the last few days. The analytics engine that did it, we had some back and forth with them. And they said, oh, there was a spike in call volumes at the end of March. We are a month later. That Home Depot 
you know, I can't imagine the effects on their business if every time they try to make an outbound call, it comes up as spam. The idea that we deal with erroneous spam labeling by putting the phone number into our contacts list is just kind of a joke of an answer in my point of view. I don't put the phone number in my contacts of every store I've, or business I've ever dealt with. Maybe my doctor's office is about the only one. Um, but if I need to call Home Depot, I just Google Home Depot and the phone number. And if I get a call from them today, it's probably going to say spam on it. Yeah, and I think what we're doing here is we're putting this, the, the onus on the consumer and the business to solve the problem. And then we can just have these kind of, you know, middleman going, eh, I implemented stir shaking. Eh, and I'm not regulated. I, you can't eh. tell me what to do. <laughs> Just do whatever. Someone's just looking to check off a list and go, well, I met the the requirements uh, that were put upon me. Therefore, we are good to go. It's, you know, Ofcom, wake up. That is not going to fix it. We're going to be having this conversation after you've implemented all these rules and regulations and fraud is still happening. It's like, come on, let's let's grow up a little bit. Let's expand our view beyond telco and understand that fraud happens and the way to fight fraud is with identity. The banks have done it. Uh, let's learn some lessons and bring them over to this side. I'm going to say one last thing before we go to a question. Uh, the severity of why we need to address this right now is the introduction of AI. So I am based in D.C. Um, there is so much activity. I know probably not just within the U.S., but regulators looking at how do we put some controls around artificial intelligence? Because guess what, Keith? We are losing, we the human are losing the ability to distinguish between what's real and what's not with the advancement of AI. And AI has already made its way into the voice channel for fraud. We have voice scam or voice simulation scams where um, these fraudulent actors will get the voice of your child. It will be screaming. It will be yelling for help. And then they get on the phone and say, I've got your child and you need to pay $50,000 to get your child back. You know, I, I'm just, I'm over it. Stop saying that your analytics works. It is your responsibility if you're going to play a role in this ecosystem to stop fraud that you tirelessly and relentlessly find ways to identify good actors and identify the bad actors. And number one, we should not even be allowing the bad actors onto this network. That's the level of frustration where I'm at now. And I would love to invite others to join me in on this. This is not about keeping board members happy with revenue numbers. This is a responsibility. If you want to play in this space, then this has to be a calling for you. Otherwise, please step out of the way because all you're doing is disrupting those who can actually innovate and solve this problem. I live in fear of the damage. This is what I'm closing at. We will cause, we as those who are working in this space to try to stop fraudulent uh, activities, we will cause more harm to the consumer when we don't get this right than any fraudulent actor would ever do to a consumer. We really can cause more harm and we need to wake up, wake up to that. So I think we have a question. Sarah, if you want to join us. We do. We have a one question in the queue. Very well said, by the way. Uh, very entranced by that. Um, <laughs> Our question today is how much easier is the UK stir shaken implementation made by waiting until full IP transition? Keith, I'll let you take that one. It doesn't make it easier for any individual carrier. Well, it does. There are solutions out there. They can purchase it, integrate it into their, their systems. It's all already been done in every switch in America or a lot of the switches. So the, the kinks have been worked out a little bit. So they definitely have an advantage um, waiting, um, but the 
in terms of implementation. The real advantage is that will actually work from end to end without the little gaps in the system that we talked about earlier that whether a company can't get a stir shaken token or chooses not to or has an exemption of some sort, the UK presumably won't have that problem. So the calls that are signed will make it all the way to the end. And we just don't see that here in the US right now. Next live episode will be Tuesday, May 23rd, and it will be hosted by Numerical's VP of Trust Solutions, everybody loves her, Sarah Delphi, with a special returning guest, Frank Pettinato, the CEO of Avantive Solutions. Together, they'll discuss the masterclasses that they taught together at the 2023 Call and Contact Center Expo on improving end-to-end outreach strategies utilizing an identity management platform and implementing a number of reputation solution featuring some dialing practices as well. And we hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth and identity in the communications industry. Our next live episode will be in two weeks on Tuesday, May 23rd, with two fresh perspectives on best practices for dialing strategies, contact strategy, and campaign. Numerical's VP of Trust Solutions, Sarah Delphi, will be joined by CEO of Avantive Solutions, Frank Pettinato, as they discuss how to manage calling identity, protect numbers from spam and scam labeling, maximize dialing attempts, customize outreach to drive brand loyalty, and more. So join us in our mission to promote transparency and collaboration to return trust to communications. Simply click the link to register and join us at the live show. Invite a friend and be sure to submit a question you'd like to have answered live. We hope to see you there.